Hey, Yanyaks, welcome back to the Rambling Viking podcast. We've got another blessing born out of tragedy coming to you, and it's a very, very powerful story. Um, honestly, it's it's a tearjerker, so get your tissues if you're ready, but my new good friend, Dennis, has an incredible just life story. He, um, based, in short, I mean, he was adopted from Romania and... There are so many factors that went into it and through, it was actually through a bunch of tragedy that he was able to have the life that he's had and have a a good family. And I mean, honestly, there's, I can't even quantify it into words, but it was an incredible conversation getting to hear his full story uninhibited. And I think it's one that it, it encouraged me. I mean, I left, I left this session feeling energized and great and I don't even necessarily know why, but there's something about amazing stories where God works through seemingly the worst possible tragedies and against all the odds, because you'll see time and time again through this story, it was literally the exception. I mean, the outlier, the thing that you would not expect that was the least likely to happen happened. Um, and, and, and it happened again and again and again so that Dennis could have the life that he has had and end up where he is now going, looking to go in, um, into pastorship and being a pastoral apprentice. But that's enough said by me. It's a, it's an awesome story. I very much enjoy it. And, uh, um, I'm so grateful that Dennis was willing to come on. So without further ado, here is Dennis flowers life story. Really? All right, folks, we're here with Dennis, the man, the myth, the legend, and he has got a story for us, continuing the series Blessings Born Out of Tragedy, and uh, I think it's going to be a pretty powerful one. I'm excited to hear it. Dennis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. So uh, to give a little bit of background, we are, you're the leader of the community group that my wife and I have joined, and you're a great leader, by the way, doing a great job. Keep <laughs> Thank it up. Thank you. Uh, I've only got a few notes, but... <laughs> We, and in briefly, you mentioned, and this is what sparked this podcast, was how, you know, your parents who adopted you had two miscarriages, Mm -hmm. and then that's what actually led them to adopting you. So naturally, I was like, I mean, it's it's a very powerful story in and of itself, just knowing that much, but I was like, I got to know more, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a powerful story that could... Um, encourage and just kind of be a little bit of a light to people who maybe have gone through something similar yeah. or I mean for example I, I know someone who and I think this happens all too often especially with miscarriages who they had one and they told nobody and mm-hmm. nobody knew about it and it's like they kind of suffered in silence for various reasons and yeah. you know it just breaks your heart to hear that so yeah. uh, anyways that's enough of me talking this is your story so Dennis take it away. Yeah, um, I was uh, I was raised in Northern California actually, and uh, my family uh, adopted me from Romania uh, when I was almost two. So I was a couple weeks away from being two at the time. And um, yeah, you mentioned my my uh, my parents struggled with infertility for for a long time. They they knew they wanted a third kid, and uh, they struggled with that infertility. And uh, through that time, they 
were led to adopt. My uh, my church back home was doing a big push for adopting Romanian orphans at the time, and my parents felt a call from uh, the Lord to to do so. And uh, the reason there was such a big push was, if you know any of the history of Romania, uh, there was a dictator who um, I think he I think he died in the early '90s, but he uh, was trying to basically. Uh, eliminate international adoption because he wanted all the orphans to stay in the orphanage, age out, and then go into the military. So I would have been part of that um, scheme. I was born in 1997, and so the international adoption ended in 99, I believe. Uh, My mom would probably correct me on that, but I believe it was 99. And uh, so I, I got out, you know, in 98, uh, by the skin of my teeth, literally, uh, and then, uh, was brought to Northern California and that was where I was raised. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I had personally, I had no idea. Romania is unfortunately to a lot of, to myself and probably a lot of people, it's one of those places where it's far off and we don't know very much about it, but no, that's, that's crazy. Like what is, what a racket? I don't, nobody can get adopted. So I can have a better military. That's that's nefarious. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess um, you maybe want to talk a little bit more about your parents' side of it then. So that's kind of your your side. And yeah, yeah. My uh, my parents were. Um, it, it's just really cool how like the gospel story gets played out in my life of like adoption. Uh, like we're we're adopted in Christ, and, and my parents never shied away from making that be the point of. Um, I, I always, you know, when I was younger, I dealt a lot with some insecurity around, like, did my parents love me? Why, why did they put me up for adoption? Uh, which we got answers to later. I actually got to meet my birth mom. That's, uh, wow. we, we can go we can go down that route if you want. But uh, in that, my, my parents never shied away from letting me know I was adopted. Uh, I kind of like to mess with people and tell them, like, oh, yeah, I was 18, and they took me out to dinner, and... Uh, and they just laid it on me that I was adopted, but no, that's not true. Uh, they they always uh, really emphasize like, hey, you were chosen uh, by us. We really wanted you as our son. And uh, from when I can remember, uh, that was always the emphasis. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, like opening up the podcast, there was a ton of pain behind uh, what led them to get to adoption. But if my if my parents were sitting here today, I think uh, they wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's easy to say retrospectively, especially for people that are dealing with infertility. Uh, I, I think uh, that that's easy for someone to say 24 years removed. But um, ultimately, it's like my, my parents have seen such a blessing through it. Um, but that doesn't diminish the pain and the suffering that they went through in the times of, inf- of infertility that they had. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I think that's one thing, too, that's that I've been realizing a lot more lately is just that, you know, we we unfortunately can only find the blessings a lot of times once we're removed from the pain, once mm-hmm. we've gotten through the pain and are on the other side. But while we're in it, I mean, it's a lot of times, especially in a situation like this, like it had to be literally the hardest thing in the world for them mm-hmm. so they had two two kids of their own and yep. they were trying for a third yep okay yeah and yeah again that third was uh just not happening for mm-hmm. them and 
in time, it, again, it was it was made so clear that hey, we're being led to adopt, and uh, all all of the pieces kind of fell into place at the right time with the right adoption agency. Uh, if anyone is listening that is trying to adopt internationally, you know how hard that is. Uh, adopting internationally is not easy at all. Um, I've I've had friends that have been on list uh, to to adopt someone for years, like eight to 10 years. And so it's a, it's a long process typically. And, uh, thankfully, uh, the Lord was super faithful and, um, our, our, uh, our church here in Denver is actually going through a series right now through Exodus. And the theme that we've been fleshing out recently is God's hidden hand. And it's really fun to look back now and see God's hidden hand through a lot, uh, again, a lot of pain, um, but that pain was turned into blessing, and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of good has come out of that. And uh, I think my family is really thankful for um, for God's faithfulness e- even through the midst of some really dark times for them. Right. And so, how many? I guess how what was the time period that this all took place? Because that's another thing that I think a lot of times gets lost in the stories. Mm-hmm. You just say, "Oh, they had a couple miscarriages," and then the next week they adopted a kid. It was like, no, this probably took place over the course of several years at least. Yeah. Um, so I guess from like maybe them wanting a third kid to finding out they were adopting, do you have an idea of roughly how long that maybe would have been, or not really? Yeah, my sister's three years older than me. Okay. And so it, it would have been about you know, two and a half, three years or so, um, which like in the really grand scheme of things seems like a really short period of time. It's like, oh, that's only a couple years. Mm-hmm. But to them, it's like two, two to three years of infertility is just really difficult. Um, and that was in like the late 90s where like we didn't have a lot of answers yeah. uh, for, you know, we, we didn't have the technology uh, that we do today um, even to help with infertility. And so... Um, yeah, there, there was just, I think there were multiple years of really, really, uh, Mm. difficult and dark days. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, we can shift to then, you kind of alluded to it, that your, your birth, you met your birth mom and Mm -hmm. your parents. So maybe we want to shift to that side of that because on the other, on the other hand, you know, they putting, putting your child up for adoption Mm -hmm. is also extremely painful, extremely difficult because, I mean, we all hear, I'm not a parent. I don't think you're a parent. So <laughs> yet, but, uh, not yet, not yet. That's right. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, from hearing from parents, you know, that that love for your child mm-hmm. is inexplicable. Yeah. Yeah. I think talking about God's hidden hand, I think, uh, there were always a ton of questions I had mm-hmm. that we never had answers to. So it was, a. um, it was a closed adoption, uh, which which means that we didn't have any information other than my birth mom's name, her age, and education level. So uh, you you can imagine, you know, seven year old Dennis on the internet in the early two thousands googling. Uh, actually, at the time, it was probably Yahoo. I was on <laughs> Yahoo trying to find my birth mom. And I I always had a desire to meet my birth mom, had a ton of questions, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. uh, that came out of that. And there was just never really a ton of success, uh, never really led anywhere. Uh, Her her name uh, is a pretty common name. It would be like 
looking up Rachel in the United States. Oh, it's like, it, it's just probably not going to be super successful. So, um, looking her up and I mean, you know, I was super young when I initially wanted to find her and my mom was always really, really supportive of that. Uh, she, she was like, this is your thing. Uh, if you want to pursue this, like, I, I just want what's best for you. And, so when I was, I was probably about uh, eight, I really made a very conscious effort of like, hey, I want to find my birth mom. Mm-hmm. And, and my mom, I think, kept taking those nuggets and, and kind of uh, hearing my heart behind the desire. And then fast forward a couple years, I was, uh, I want to say I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And my mom and I are on our way to uh, Easter service. And my mom, like, very nonchalantly goes, hey, like, I have something to tell you. And, you know, me being a, a young teenager, uh, I was too too cool for school. And I was probably, you know, uh, a little sassy and like, what? And she goes, well, I, I mean, I, I found your birth mom. And so I'm sitting there just in shock because uh, not only uh, did I not really know that she was actively looking, but I didn't even know if my birth mom was alive. That was kind of one of the realities that I had to come to grips with pretty pretty uh, early was like it's very possible and likely that, you know, she could have been a prostitute. Um, she could have been in uh, sex slavery. Uh, like there's a, a long list of what could have been the possibilities and so we go to this uh, Easter service, and I'm sitting there, and it's like, that was probably the most worthless I've ever been in church. I literally sat down through worship, through the sermon, through response, and like I just had my jaw dropped because for the first time in my life, somebody related to me. I knew was out there, and it was a really st- striking reality for being so young. And my mom uh, continues conversation, and basically, uh, the long story short was she hired a private investigator that lives in Romania. Uh, he's a he's a missionary over there, and uh, his name's Corey Berba, and he runs a, a center in northern Romania, northwestern Romania, called Beauty for Ashes, mm-hmm. um, Beauty from Ashes, and. Uh, it, it rescues girls out of that age out of the adoption uh, or the orphanage mm-hmm. and helps them learn like really basic skills so that they can get a job. And this is something that he does um, kind of on the side a little bit. And uh, it sounds like I could be wrong, but it sounds like it was really easy for her to find him uh, or for him to find her, which really frustrated my seven-year-old self. Right. Uh, I was like, man, all my Yahoo searches were I mean, just in vain. Come on, you're seven. Yeah. I mean, why, why is it so easy for you? You're you're fully capable and... That's right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, so um, we found out that my birth mom was actually living and still does live in Rome. And, um, we, through a long series of really complicated conversations, she doesn't speak English, so we obviously never talked to her. Um, we 
we set up a meeting and it was super, super vague and we didn't have a ton of details. And it was like, this is kind of weird. And so um, it wasn't until I was 18. So I think I was 13 or 14 when I found out that she was out there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after I had graduated high school that I actually got to meet her. So it's like, imagine me, I'm just like stewing over this for years. Years and years, yeah. Every You probably thought about it every single day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, so my, my mom uh, in California and, and my birth mom uh, and then our private investigator who lived in Romania, uh, we, all, we all flew to Rome. And we got an Airbnb. My, my birth mom cleans apartments for a living in Rome. And so we get an Airbnb. We go to Rome. We, we do a couple days of sightseeing before, before the meeting, which were kind of worthless for me because it's like <laughs> I'm in like one of the most historic places in the world. But my mind is totally not there. Uh, so I'm going to need to go back to Rome at some point. But uh, we, we meet uh, – it's the night before we're going to meet her and we're sitting on this balcony. I'm overlooking Rome. It's like the most gorgeous view. Yeah. Rough life. And our private investigator like comes up to me and he goes, Hey dude, I just want to really like, uh, I want, I want to prepare you that this could go really South. And it really put into perspective, like most of these stories when people meet their birth parents aren't great. The parents tell them something like, Hey, like, you know, I never really wanted you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're trying to get money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really sad stories about people uh, meeting their birth parents and just hearing things that they, like, had always thought. Right. Uh, but, but wanted to not believe were true. But they ended up being, you know, sadly true. And just really sad realities for some people. And so he prepared me. Um and I was like, okay, okay. And so uh, everyone else in the house went to sleep. I did not. Uh, and we wake up that morning. We go to like a little bakery. We get a bunch of baked goods and some coffee, bring it back to our Airbnb. And uh, our private investigator gets a call about 10 minutes before we're going to meet her. And uh, she's at the train station. And he, uh he gets off the phone and obviously it was all in Romanian. So I didn't know what was going on. And, and she was thinking about not coming. She mm. was like, I, I don't know if I can go through with this. And he, he talked her off that ledge. Uh, and, uh, we, we hear the elevator, our door, our Airbnb was right in front of, uh, an elevator. And so I hear the elevator open and I'm like, all right, here we go. And so she opens the door and we lock eyes and, she just like, not runs, but very briskly runs right into my arms Uh and just hugs me. And she wouldn't let me go. And it was like, it was kind of like this, like, I know you, but I don't really know you. And it was a 10 to 15 minute hug, which is like, anybody that hugs longer than five seconds, I'm like, ah, you know? And, uh, and I'm like, I'm a physical touch guy. Like that's Mm -hmm. my love language. And so it was like, it was a 10 to 15 minute hug. I'm in shock. She is bawling on my shoulder. Uh, and, and it, and it was just a really, really cool moment of like, wow, you're my, you're my mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is, this is an experience like no other. 
Uh, and there was actually another lady that came with her, which was her sister. So my aunt actually came with her, and I'll, and I'll get to that point of why she came. Um, so we eventually sit down, and we got Corey, uh, my mom from uh, the States, and then my birth mom and my aunt. And we're all sitting at a table like, wow, like this is crazy. Like this has been four or five years in the making. And basically I sit down and I go, tell me everything. Like, that's what I'm asking. I really just want to know, like, where did I come from? Why did you put me up for adoption? It seems like you're doing really well. And uh, the story that we got, uh, which was just really shocking, was, um, now track with me because this can get confusing. Okay. she w- she was dating one guy, and that guy went to prison, actually, for, for auto theft, I believe it was. And uh, in the time that that guy was in prison for, you know, a year or two years, uh, she she had slept with another man mm-hmm. who, who was a gypsy, oh, which boy. it's like, uh, I think people think of gypsies like, are they actually out there? <laughs> yes, they are, yeah. especially in Romania, very real. And so she had slept with this guy and got pregnant with me. And uh, in Romania, uh, culturally, abortions are like, uh, like you wouldn't bat an eye over an abortion. Okay. It's, it's just super, super culturally accepted. And pe- people just, uh, yeah, people just culturally accept that abortion's okay. And, uh, you know, no harm, no foul is kind of their, uh, their thing. And, and so, you know, without thinking, uh, my mom's just going to have an abortion. Yeah. Like why, why wouldn't she? Right. It's like, that's what you do. Uh, it was a one night stand probably most likely. Uh, actually, no, actually that's not true. They were dating, uh, from, from my understanding. And so they, they slept together and, you know, it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think they had any intention on getting pregnant. And so my mom, uh, my mom gets pregnant and my, my birth, my birth dad, the gypsy, uh, is, is pushing her to have an abortion. And this goes back to the hidden hand of God. Uh, a social worker somehow, and there's a lot of nuance that kind of got lost in translation for me. Uh, a social worker somehow got in connect. Uh, connection with my birth mom Hmm. and convince her out of it and it's like this is a small town in Romania in northeastern Romania uh, a couple thousand people so it's like oh man real small yeah it's like we're teetering on village (laughs) and yeah but it's a town Uh but it's one of those places that it's like everybody knows the gossip Mm mm-hmm and so this social worker, uh, by the grace of God, took her in and said, hey, like, let's not have an abortion. Let's give the baby up for adoption. And again, this is kind of a lost in translation thing, but my mom, my mom agreed. Hmm. And so for the duration of her pregnancy, she hid in this social worker's basement and would only go out a couple times a day. But it was uh, to hide her from the people of the city. It's like my mom just kind of disappeared for nine months because if she didn't, everyone would be like, uh, that's a baby. You're pregnant, <laughs> you know? And, and in small communities. 
word gets uh, around. Pregnancy like that, you be socially ostracized. I mean, mm-hmm. I come from a small town, so I very much understand the stigma yeah. that comes with like, oh snap, Susie's pregnant. Oh, that harlot, like right. type situation, and then yeah. I mean, and not just like call you a name, but mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's gonna talk to you. you socially. You are completely ostracized. I mean, akin right. to almost what a leper would be in mm-hmm. in, in the Bible. But anyway, sorry. Continue. No, no, no. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, and I think everyone would have been more confused on like, why didn't you just have an abortion? Right. Right. Like, you had everyone not in your as ear. opposed to like, hey, you slept with a guy and got pregnant, mm-hmm. but more. Why didn't you just have an abortion? Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so she she comes to my um, my due date. She's about to give birth, and they decide, hey, like, yes, we are gonna you know give the baby mm-hmm. up for adoption. And so there's two towns uh, that are close by. So there's one that was like 10 miles away, and then there was one that was like 25 miles away. But the one twenty five miles away was a, a lot larger, and so she's like, "Let's go to that one because mm-hmm. it's a lot less likely that pe- people are going to know me," which is true. And so she goes to this town, um, and she gives birth to me. And the reason why, when we met, it was so impactful for her was the doctor that delivered me had told her, "Don't look at the baby." it's going to make it a lot harder for you to give the baby up. And so my mom had never seen me in her life, had no idea what I looked like, um, anything, because she never even looked at me. Like, I mean, I was out of the womb. They, mm-hmm. they cut the cord, and I was off. And she never saw me again until I was 18. And so for her, she walked in and was like, oh, my gosh, like, you're my son mm-hmm. and you look like it, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, the, so the reason that this whole thing had to be a secret was she ended up not dating my dad anymore. Uh, he kind of went on his way as gypsies do. And, uh, the guy that went to prison got out of prison and they're actually still married today. Whoa. And he has no idea about me. Whoa. And so and and so he lives in he lives in Rome with my mom mm-hmm. and they uh they have two other kids uh that look really really similar to me which is really weird for me yeah. which is also cool like I mean uh my siblings don't really look anything like me. Right. I'm very tan. <laughs> they are not. Uh, I'm sorry, Amy. I'm sorry, Stephen. But uh, that's just the reality. Is like I've never had a lot of people that look like me. So to get pictures and see what they look like was really special for me. And the reason um, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but the reason my aunt came was my aunt was I, I want to say she's. Uh, four or five years younger than my than my mom and I believe my mom was 19 when she had me and so the reason my aunt came was my aunt found out that my mom my birth mom was pregnant and said let's like let's hide together Mm -hmm. and then I'll say that it's my baby it's like you know we're siblings we we look enough alike it would be very easy to Mm -hmm. to believe and my mom was like, no, like, we're not going to do that. Uh, some, somehow that all got talked out of. And 
the reason that my aunt came to the meeting was she ended up not being able to have kids. And so she, like, when this was all happening, she really, really, really wanted to take me, even though she was only 15 probably at the time, but she really wanted to take me. And it was really impactful for her to find out that I was even alive and that I was doing well Mm. because uh, she ended up not being able to have kids of her own. So when she saw me, uh, she saw me as her son Mm -hmm. that could have been, right? Where my birth mom was like, you're my son that Mm -hmm. I've never seen. And my aunt was like, you're my son that could have been. So it was a really impactful moment for all of us it really was but for me I was like I was in shock the whole time yeah uh didn't really know what to say I was like you know do I call you mom (laughs) I don't really know and for them it was like like they it felt for them like it felt like they weren't skipping a beat Mm -hmm. it was kind of it was kind of like that where I was like I don't really know you guys but like I I feel like this odd sense of comfort because you're my mom Mm -hmm. and so it was really cool to have that experience and hear the story um and uh the the sad reality is like um Romania is a very like patriarchal Mm -hmm. uh society and so the guy that my mom's still married to is very abusive. And, uh, and so for her, she, she doesn't even like, she's so worried about him finding out because she's like, I, I mean, she, she verbalizes this. She, she thinks that he would kill her. Right. And so it's a huge, huge secret that like she's kept for, um, Golly. for 18 years and so for her, it was like she talked probably 95% of the time, which is what I wanted. Uh-huh. I wanted questions answered, right? Uh, but she talked for like 95% of the time. And I, and I think the reason, like after processing this for so many years since, the reason was she kept a secret for 18 years. All she wanted to do was talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not great at keeping secrets. <laughs> and so I know it's like, you're my mom. You know, mm-hmm. I can only imagine how difficult that was for you because um, I'm not great at keeping secrets. So for her, it, that, that was a that was a really difficult 18 years. I can only imagine. And all she wanted to do was be like, here's why I loved you. Mm-hmm. And it was like for me, again, going back to what I said earlier, I dealt with a lot of insecurity around like, did my mom love me? Um, mm-hmm. And to hear that from her mouth that uh, – like in the most crazy circumstances of getting pregnant uh, with with a gypsy, mm-hmm. with with her boyfriend in jail, uh, it's like she still decided uh, to make the right choice and, and give me up for adoption, and that just wasn't an easy wasn't an easy decision. I can only imagine, and. Um, it, it, it was just a fun conversation to have with her of like even hearing her say uh, she told me this she said that my birth father was a lot less good looking <laughs> but he was a really good guy uh, okay. and I was like oh man the good guy the good guy card uh, and she's like yeah my husband now he's a horrible person but he's really good looking <laughs> And so I was like, okay, well, you know, at least, at least I got a good guy as my dad. Um, and 
So, um, but yeah, it was, it was an awesome, awesome time to sit there and just have conversation. Even with the language barrier, it was just like, um, I think it was really just, yeah, it was cool to, uh, have her hear me call her mom. Mm -hmm. She didn't know what I was going to call her and I didn't know what I was going to call her either. I was like, I'm going with what's, what comes naturally. (laughs) It's like by the power of the Holy Spirit, like. Give me the words to say because I got nothing. Mm-hmm. And I called her mom. The first time I called her mom was like about 30 minutes in. And I mean, it just broke her. Because I think she thought for all this time, it was like, I think she thought that the reason I wanted to meet her was to be like, why did you do this? Right. Almost accusatory. Yeah. And interrogate her. Right. And that just wasn't the case. It was more of like, hey, like, I just want to know where I came from. I want to hear the story. And uh, for her for her to hear me call her mom and to hear, I mean, I, I, I was an emotional wreck two days after. Yeah. But for about 48 hours, 72 hours or so, I, I was just in shock. But my mom from the States telling my birth mom, thank you. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I was sitting there and it's like, I didn't. I didn't know what to say. Right. Because I'm sitting there, like, to go back to where we started was through immense amounts of pain, through infertility. My mom eventually got to go and say thank you to the person that made one of the biggest and hardest decisions of her life mm-hmm. for blessing them with the third kid that they couldn't have, and that was like. That was really special for my mom. When we were talking and planning the trip, my mom was like, uh, I will I will pay, I will cover everything. The only rule is I get to be in the room. Mm. And I was like, of course. <laughs> uh, especially if you're going to pay, but of course. Yeah. And And she said that all she wants to do is say thank you. And she said a whole lot more than that, which mm. was like, super impactful because I was sitting there just like fumbling over my words because uh, I was so nervous. Like I'm I'm sweating through every every shirt I have and uh, it, it was uh, it was one of those moments where it's like you can prepare all you want but whatever comes naturally in the moment it's going to be what happens and having that conversation with her getting to see her we brought a ton and my, my mom's just a, a meticulous planner. And so we brought like a gallon size bag full of photos of me. Yeah. Um, like these wallet size photos. Because, uh, you you know, like mm-hmm. that that's just the early 2000s. It's like, we're going to give you a pin and, and a wallet size photo for everything. Yeah, this one still had the little wind up camera. Yep. Rink, 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 yep. Rink. That's how you took pictures. That's right. <laughs> and so my mom had all these, you know, soccer, volleyball, whatever whatever sport I was into for the year uh photos of me and we even got photos of my um half siblings and I look like a spitting image of these guys which is really weird but for her to like she was just sitting there she was talking as she's like spreading these photos all all out all over the table because she just wanted to she wanted to walk through the last 18 years um and what really hit home uh, was at the time, and we didn't know we didn't know this. And our private investigator, I don't even know if he knew this. At the time, what people were doing is people were posing as a 
adoptive parents and taking kids out of the, the Romanian orphanages specifically, but all, all over Eastern Europe, and selling them into sex slavery. Oh my gosh. And so my mom didn't know about that reality when she put me up for adoption. I don't think she would have put me up for adoption if that was the case. Mm-hmm. But she found out like a couple months after, and she had this huge looming worry for 18 years on did I just send my kid into sex slavery? Right. Like, did I just do the worst thing possible for him by giving him up for adoption? That's what she thought the reality was. And so for her to hear that not only was I okay, but also uh, healthy and just like living a really good and like, I don't know, happy life, Mm -hmm. if you will, a comfortable life. uh, That was, I think that was just music to her ears. So, Man, well, that is that story is so much more so much deeper than I could have ever imagined, <laughs> yeah. as I suspected. Yeah, like that's you just it. briefly mentioned it in group, and and I was like, there something, you know, some, like you said, like you, you see your mom, kind mm-hmm. of very, very like toned down version of that. But you said something, and I and something with me clicked, and I was like, I think there's something there. I think I think Dennis has got a really powerful story that can show. I mean, you want to talk about a God's hidden hand, but B, mm-hmm. I mean. Tragedy all around. There's, there's tragedy on your, your adoptive parent side. There's tragedy on your biological mom's side. Yeah. And there still is. So big question that I have is, then, yeah. so with this whole big secret thing, mm-hmm. was that basically understood as probably the only contact you would have with her? Good question. So we wrap, uh, so just for context, that meeting was supposed to be about two hours. We had like, uh, we had slotted two hours because it's mm-hmm. like, People are going to get suspicious if you're yeah. not back in time, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we, and we were supposed to check out of the Airbnb that day. And so the owner of the Airbnb actually came back to do the cleaning, which it's like ironic because that's what my mom does. <laughs> uh, but he came back and my birth mom was pleading with him. And our time was up. Like yeah. we had gone already over two hours and our time was already up. And my, mo- my birth mom was like pleading with this guy to give us more time Mm -hmm. and I'm like sitting there I'm like I will stay here all day I'll like we'll pay whatever it costs Mm -hmm. like I just want to keep talking to you Uh, however much time you're willing to give us we're gonna take Mm -hmm. and it ended up being about uh two and a half three hours okay and then as we're getting up to leave like I mean we're about to walk to the airport uh to to go home and she goes wait like I need to buy you a meal and we're like, kind of like, okay, this is weird. Like, we just had food at the apartment. Um, okay. And there's a pizzeria right across the street. Probably one of the, like, I'm just speculating. But it was probably really good pizza because we're in the heart of Rome. Mm-hmm. So she buys me, like, a large pizza <laughs> um, and a Coke. And basically what she told us was, I've never been able to provide for you, and I want to give you a meal. And I'm sitting there just like, Wow. And like now I'm like, now I'm going to ball like a baby because that's like the sweetest thing in the world. But at the time I was like, this is weird. Like I'm in shock. I don't really know what to say. I'm still sweating. And, uh, she, she buys me this meal, uh, gives me about 50 American dollars, uh, and then gives me a a necklace. Uh, and I don't remember exactly how much the necklace was, but it wasn't cheap. It was like it was a it was a nice necklace, 
and it was a cross necklace. Uh, I found out that I was baptized Roman Catholic. Uh, oh. And, yep, I. it's like, <laughs> this story just keeps going, Gus. <laughs> and it was just really cool because for her, to what she said, it was like she had never been able to provide for me. Mm-hmm. And... So we're, we're on the streets of Rome, and we're literally going separate directions. Like, we have to, uh, in terms of where both of us are about to end up. And it was like, okay, we're going to hug, and this might be the last time I ever see you. Man. And it was like, like, this this is really hard. And again, I mean, I can't reiterate how, how in shock I was. Like, I couldn't process my emotions. Oh, yeah. And so we hug and like we kind of look at each other like and and we i mean we both said i love you i, I called her mom again cuz i know how, i knew how important that was to her but i told her like hey i love you mom and then we kind of went our separate directions mm-hmm. um but what what we did get to do was um we we got connected on whatsapp oh yeah and so she'll message me from time to time when i was in um right after the meeting, she would message me multiple mm-hmm. times a day. Yeah. Um, and I think it was cause her husband was actually out of the country traveling, uh, for work. And so she, uh, she would message me multiple times a day and the way that works, I have to do some legwork, but it's all worth it. Uh, she'll message me in Romanian. I Google translate it, <laughs> which Google translate. This is a slight ad. I think you guys need to figure it out because uh, it's not the best translation. Really confusing. And I decipher whatever she's trying to say, uh, which honestly, which is sad for me to hear, but she's typically apologizing. Mm. She thinks that she still could have done better. Yeah. And I'm like, you did the best thing for me uh, and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I'm always having to reaffirm her Uh and then I'll I'll type something back in uh, in English, translate it right back to Romanian, send it on back, and uh, she loves emojis, loves <laughs> emojis, the kissy face emoji and the heart emoji. Uh, birth mom is a big fan of, and she'll uh, she'll send me she'll just send me messages with emojis, and I'm like oh I love that, but obviously with the time difference and stuff, uh, it, it's just really hard. So what we've determined is. If I get a message, if I can respond within 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. it's safe to respond. Okay. If I can't, then uh, then I'm pretty much asked not to respond in the in the um, thought that her husband might see yeah. this text. It's basically like when she's messaging you, she has a free moment or a, a small yes. period of time, but yes. do not message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of sit there and I'm like, I, I don't... I don't know if she has an iPhone. I, I would guess mm-hmm. not. That's probably why we're on WhatsApp. But I kind of laugh because I'm like, I would love to just FaceTime with her. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's like, I worked for Zoom for a uh-huh. year and a half. So I'm like, hey, let's Zoom. <laughs> and uh, and let's let's figure out how to translate via Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, the communication sadly has like really diminished uh, in, in the last, honestly, in the last two years, mm. uh, I think with COVID her, her husband's just always around at yeah. home, uh, especially in Rome. Like they had such a, they said Italy they, got hit hard. They had such a surge. Right. And so I think, uh, it just probably hasn't been safe, but she always finds a time to message me on my birthday, which is always really wow. special to me. 
and uh, like she she still thinks she doesn't really have a concept of the United States in its entirety, and mm-hmm. so she just heard California. I was living in California at the time, and so when California has its wildfires, she'll find a time to message me and be like, "Are you safe?" And uh, and I'm like, "Yes, I'm safe. I'm I'm, I'm actually in Colorado now." And, that 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 doesn't necessarily translate as well yeah. uh, through through the Google Translate. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really special to still have that connection. Um, and like I I think the where I've rested with it is I would love to see her again mm-hmm. if that's something she wants to do. Um, for me, a lot of the questions that I got answered were were what I was looking for. And, and so I, I would love to see her again uh, and continue that relationship. But for her, I genuinely believe, like, that was a lot more mentally taxing on her than it was for me. And I wouldn't want to, like, jeopardize her safety right. or, like, honestly, her mental health. Uh, mm. in in Because, again, she feels still to this day, even though we've reminded her for now six, seven years – she still feels a lot of shame behind yeah. uh, behind what she did, just thinking like, oh, I could have done better, I could have done better. And it's like, it doesn't really matter how much we remind her, she's always still struggling with that. And she probably will the rest of her life. That's like, right. A lot of those things, they never go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if she, if she said, hey, like, you should come back out. Mm-hmm. I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, that would be so special to just spend some time with her and get to do that. Um, but it's also like, Hey, we, we, we still get to text from time to time and, uh, check in. She'll just ask how I'm doing, what I'm doing now. And, uh, so I told her like, I'm going into church ministry mm-hmm. and she was like, I don't really understand that. And she doesn't really have uh, the framework to mm-hmm. understand like, wait, you're going to go and like, you're getting paid to work for a church and you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, she doesn't really understand exactly, you know, what I want to do, um, as you know, somebody that wants to be a pastor, but it's, uh, it, it's special for me to check in on her and see how she's doing too. And, uh, she had articulated that once her husband passes, whenever that may be, I'm like, I, I would assume, you know, they're in their early forties. You know? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, like, likely that's not anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But she had said, like, "Hey, when when he passes, I would love for you to come out." And uh, she had even said, like, "Meet meet my sons and stuff like that." And I was like, "That that'd be a that'd be a trip. That'd <laughs> yeah. be a trip and a half." But yeah, super special experience. I'm just really grateful because most people that are adopted don't get a lot of the questions that I got answered. Yeah. And. And again, like my story is like uh, as much difficulty as there is for my my family here in the States and also for my biological family. It's like it's one of the best case scenario stories that I've heard. No, uh, so far everything it keeps tracking and, and, all, and, and I keep thinking like, wow, you got to meet her. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. We probably never get to see her again. No, you still got to have a relationship. It is all. And I think how many, you know, there's. That, like you said, it is the absolute best case. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's worked out that way. Yeah, and and again, like I, I was just, I was really worried that we were going to go into that meeting, and she was going to be like, "I never wanted you, mm-hmm. but now I know you live in the United States. Can we get some money?" Yeah, like that was like honestly my biggest worry was like uh, the realities that I 
the lies that I believed, the lies that I believed for years about not being wanted mm-hmm. and stuff, I was really worried those were going to come true. And that wasn't the case. Uh, it was, again, God's hidden hand, uh, like Genesis fifty twenty. Uh, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there's just a, there was a lot of darkness, uh, a lot of dark seasons in my life uh, that I didn't even know about until I was 18. Right. And so it really reframed for me my view of God, how big God is, uh, really helped me dive into like, uh, without even having words for this at the time, looking for God's hidden hand. And it's like, I see it all over the place now where, uh, I, I look at, um, you know, me coming to work early or something like that as me possibly avoiding a car accident on the Mm -hmm. way in late. right? Right. And, and it's little things like that, that, um, we're never going to know, right? Um, we're, we're only, we're only going to see this super minor, um, this super, uh, zoomed out view, if you will. Mm-hmm. And God's like mixing in all the details. And so, uh, I think Cor- Corbin, our pastor used this quote a couple weeks ago, uh, and it's from John Piper basically saying, uh, at any given moment, uh, we, we see, you know, a hundred things going on, but God's up to like 10,000. Right. That was the gist of the quote. I'm probably butchering that. I'm sorry, Corbin. But that's, uh, that, that's true where mm-hmm. it's like, we're only seeing such a glimpse of reality and, uh, we're looking at it through, uh, broken eyes, if you will. Yeah. Right. But ultimately, God's up to some really big things, uh, even in the midst of really dark seasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, so I just want to kind of now that we've heard all all of it, we yeah. kind of go back and recap a little bit. So, I mean, yeah. it starts with a less than ideal situation, basically, mm-hmm. out an affair, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. right? And surprise pregnancy in a place where abortion is commonplace. I mean, it right. sounds like it's akin to using other forms, like re- the forms of contraception that we typically know. Like it's just another way, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have then facing the she had to hide yeah. for nine months. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then and and hope that nobody finds out. Mm-hmm. And then her now husband also can never find out about this mystery child. Never yeah. gets to see you. Yep. While at the same time, on the other side of the world, you have a couple who is has two kids, wants a third, mm-hmm. and just can't make it happen. Yeah. Is struggling, going through the heartache of like we we want another child, we yearn for another child. Yeah. Which I'm not saying you know some people sometimes might be able to look at that and think that oh it's a little bit selfish like I just want another kid and it's like no there's a yearning to mm-hmm. you know have that that other child and that's what that was and. Honestly, it was, you know, probably it was a it was a yearning from God in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. in classic God fashion too. He's saying, Not this way. Yeah. Not you know, and and unfortunately it's that they had to walk through that tragedy though, to then to then come to the conclusion, ah, mm-hmm. it's not through our means, but it's gonna be through the adoption of someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how our third child's gonna come. Mm-hmm. And then all of that culminates and and oh yeah, don't forget the risk that there's fake adopters who mm-hmm. would have sold you into sex slavery. Mm-hmm. So it's like you dodged abortion, you dodged 
um, you dodged, I, I, well, your mom dodged the social ostracization of mm-hmm. being a small community and having that pregnancy and pressuring and being pressured into abortion. Like literally, it sounds like the one person who was like adopted the baby came into contact with her. Everyone yeah. else would have encouraged abortion. And <clears throat> ultimately what happens then is, you know, you find an actual good family, mm-hmm. dodge a sex slavery, a great family. Sounds like you had, I mean, you've had a wonderful life mm-hmm. and wonderful parents who were willing to put in the, the work. Like you said, you didn't, you had no idea mm-hmm. your, your mom was looking for your other mom. Yeah. And, um, but private investigator fly you across the world, the willingness to do that and to mm-hmm. meet you and to have that. So, I mean, I could, we could probably list out a thousand different th- ways yeah. that, you know, there were, there were gods working mm-hmm. in that and then that they were, there were blessings. And I mean, what has come out of it is, and I mean, you're going into ministry mm-hmm. and you are, I think, making a, a big impact, particularly on the people of Denver and in, in the church, in your community, mm-hmm. and, um, both in and out of the church, the people within that. So, yeah. I, I mean, and it's all and where did it all come from? It came out of simultaneously two families, if you will, two, you know, people mm-hmm. going through, I don't know, uh, it's almost like going, running through a, a whole list of tragedy. Yeah. Like a whole list of the hardest situation. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, like this last week, what Corbin taught on, uh, was out of Exodus two twenty three through mm-hmm. 25. And the theme was letting your groan turn into a cry. Uh, and it was kind of a second part to God's hidden hand. And I, I think like, and I mentioned this earlier, but it's like, as somebody that looks back and sees all the inner workings of like, wow, like, uh, God used a social worker Mm -hmm. to save me from, uh, being aborted. Right. And, uh, God used a private investigator in Romania that we, you know, kind of just found on the internet, honestly, to reunite me with my birth mom. And like, there's all these inner workings of, of God's hand, but that like, I, I think it's easy for me to say something like, oh, God's working, God's working, yeah. God's working. But I never want to, like, diminish people's, like, pain no, and suffering. No, throughout each of those moments, mm-hmm. if you want to break it down into moments, you know, because life is a series of moments, yeah. there is tragedy, and mm-hmm. it, is, it is a lot of times unbearable. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, like, my, my parents are both uh, both believers and uh they they would both say that they were crying out for for mm-hmm. a th- for a third kid and i think they probably changed from uh in using you know the words from the sermon this last week of they're letting their groan turn into a cry and like there's a lot of religious platitudes of like god's got it you yeah. know let go and let god mm-hmm. and the christianese as they yeah, call it <laughs> exactly right christianese uh, all the catchphrases yeah, we got them all. We got them all. But I, I also want to like resonate with, there's a lot of really, really difficult things. And mm-hmm. while I do believe God's at work, um, also want to sit with those uh, who are mourning, right? Mourn with those who mourn and, and weep with those who weep. And uh, yeah, just in God's hidden hand, also, also want to love people really well through those difficult times and use my story as like, hopefully encouragement for people. Yeah. Uh, uh, of that's seeing, the entire point of this. You yeah. Know? Of seeing God's hidden hand, but also 
being like, hey, like let let's walk together uh, in in those really dark seasons because they're gonna be there. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've been there in my life, and I I didn't even know that it was God's hidden hand right, right. until now. And so, yeah, um, just uh, really thankful for what the Lord's done, and um, I I I appreciate you having me on because I think a big uh, piece of my story is like not keeping this story quiet. Right in the reason of, uh, hopefully this again is encouraging to somebody mm-hmm. and helps them, you know, lift their eyes up to the things of God, uh, in, in the midst of a world that's just really difficult to be honest. Yeah. Because I think that's most, there, there are two things that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Is when we struggle, a lot of times we just feel there's a sense of aloneness or loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, and it just always comes naturally. So that's part of the motivation for this, why I want to have you on, why I want to share these hard stories, but ultimately blessed stories, is that to to remind people that A, you're not struggling alone, and B, you may not even be struggling in what you're struggling in Mm -hmm. alone. I mean, so the last one was my sister, and she started college and then COVID hit, right? Mm -hmm. So she went through college and COVID, and you know, how many, think of how many college kids there are at, across the country, right? And mm-hmm. it's just like, and how many of them were sitting at home yep. on the other side of Zoom call thinking like, this sucks, you know, I yeah. suck. And you, you start to think like, oh, I, you start to believe the lies that you're the only one struggling or, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you started to believe the lies when you were young of, you mm-hmm. know, oh, my mom didn't want me and this and that. And actually yeah. none of it was actually true. And right. so, I mean, that's really part of the motivation. So, yeah. I just want to say thank you for being willing because yeah. this is not, it's not easy to, to look back on the pain and the hard things mm-hmm. and, and then to flesh those out and then to be like, here you go, internet, everyone, you know, everyone here in my store. I mean, it's very, opening up is very difficult and being vulnerable and it's something I think is more and more rare mm-hmm. um, now. But I guess um, one final thing to anyone who maybe is also adopted or looking to adopt or or maybe going through a struggle similar I guess would you what would your words of do you have any words of encouragement what would they be if there's anyone who's maybe struggling with some of the things that you have struggled with Mm -hmm. yeah I think uh don't don't believe the lies Mm -hmm. that uh culture and um even like people in your life um might 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 tell you uh of like oh you weren't loved it's like if you're adopted uh you you're you're more you're you are a lot more loved than you know Mm -hmm. and the reason being is uh one somebody had to love you enough to do probably what was best more often than not the stories that i hear are when somebody's giving them up it's for the parent Mm-hmm. And for the child's best interests, more often than not, uh, not always, but more often than not. And so, not only w- was there one great decision being made by a parent, but also a parent chose you. Yeah. Uh, having a kid is a really, really big deal. My sister just gave birth to uh, my first nephew. Really excited about that. Uh, his name's Robert. Yeah, and cool I, uncle stuff. That, I just became an uncle last year. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I love it. I, I got two older nieces uh, that are two and four, and uh, they're just a blast. But um, I, like, sit and look at um, pictures of my baby nephew, who is uh, f- four days old right now. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, that was a really big deal uh, that they were like intentionally trying for a kid. And so for somebody to like go out and adopt and bring someone into their family uh, is a really, really big deal and not a decision that I don't, I don't think there's anybody that takes adoption lightly that adopts right? because they know it's difficult to actually go through the process, especially now in the days of COVID, uh, getting adopted is really, really difficult. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's probably what I would say. And one thing I, I had it in my brain, then I lost it. I just remembered it. So it might be out of order, but I want to ask it. So you were talking about, you know, walking with those who are struggling and it sounds like your parents had a good community that they were a part of that helped them walk through this and get them to the, the point of seeing that like, Hey, maybe, you know, you need adoption, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, again, the church was doing a really big push mm-hmm. on, on adoption at the time. And it, it's like this God's hidden hand right. of, uh, it just, it just so happened that at the time that my parents were trying to have a kid and being unsuccessful, um, my church was pushing international adoption from Romania. Right. Like really, really, really uh, cool to, you know, have that all play out at the time that it did. And, yeah, they had a lot of people that walked through them uh, or walked with them through that mm-hmm. because uh, they didn't know when, how, uh, if that was yeah. even going to be a reality for them. So um, it's uh, it, it was pretty – and it's like, I'm probably missing a ton of the details that my parents <laughs> just have fine. never shared with me. But, uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll sit down with them someday and get their side of the story. I'm That's sure it right. great to hear. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure Nancy and Greg would love to be on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll get them on. Maybe through Zoom. I don't know. There you go. There Dennis, you go. thanks so much for coming on and telling your story. It yeah. was, um, I mean, I don't have words for it. So I'm not going to try and <laughs> quantify it in words. It was incredible, though. An amazing story to hear. Yeah. And, I mean, God's hidden hand was all over mm-hmm. your story. So yeah. thanks again for coming on to share it. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Gus. I appreciate it. All right. If uh, you aren't crying from that right now, you don't have a soul. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, I didn't cry, of course, because I'm a Viking. But uh, that was incredible story. I mean, there's really nothing more I can say that hasn't already been said, so I won't. But I do want to thank you for listening to tuning in and listening to Dennis's story of the many blessings that have come out of the many tragedies, seemingly so. And I just want to, I hope, I hope it offered some encouragement to you. I know it encouraged me and to anyone out there who's maybe gone through some similar circumstances in some way, shape, or form, but uh, I also hope that it maybe challenges you to look back on your circumstances and maybe see if you can, where you can find, you know, that hidden hand of God we kept referencing. So speaking of the sermon where they talked about that from last week, it is in podcast form. The link is in the description. If you want to go listen to that sermon, it was a very, very good sermon and something It actually might've been from two weeks ago. I'll figure it out either way. I'll put them both down there. You can go listen to them. But if you have a story that, you know, maybe you'd be willing to tell that is something where that is riddled with the hidden hand of God that, you know, now that you've gone through it or some struggle that you've overcome, just some really anything and everything, please reach out to me and I'd love to 
if you'd be willing to tell that story. And I'd love to have you come on the podcast and tell your story because that's what I want to do. I want to build um, a system of encouragement and looking specifically at struggles, hard times, tragedy, whatever you want to call it, to um, because I think that is something that is a given in life. And a lot of times it's, you know, you spend more time in a struggle than you do out of the struggle, but it is through that struggle that we grow and that our character is built and that powerful bonds and relationships can be found, can be had, particularly if you're, you know, someone of faith, like we, like myself and Dennis, and you can see God's handiwork and, um, and just how much active he actually is, particularly in the hardest moments in our life. So, um, yeah, please, you can email the show. It's ramblingviking at uh, gmail.com or you can find us. It's the Rambling Viking podcast on Instagram or Facebook. But feel free to reach out to me or you can reach out to me personally, GusBus35 on all social media. And if you want, if you have a story that you would lo- that you would be willing to share, I'm, I'm looking for more of these stories uh, to be an encouragement. But yeah, that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. If you hope you please go leave a five star review, share this with your friends or with someone who could maybe use an uplifting story and a and a powerful story. But uh, I just want to give another shout out once again to Dennis for coming on, being willing to open up about something very deeply personal, his you know personal life story like that. That, that takes a lot of courage. So uh, thanks so much for listening, though. Thank you for being a part of the Hanyak Horde. I won't belabor this anymore. This is your head Hanyak signing off.